بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد وكلوا واشربوا ولا تسرفوا إنه لا يحب المسرفين وقال تعالى ويحل لهم الطيبات ويحرم عليهم الخبائث صدق الله العظيم Brothers and sisters, what I want to speak about today is about health and fitness in Islam, uh, it's, to be honest, I'm not sure if in past times, in past generations, this would have been a topic of discussion or this would have been maybe even a topic of a, a lecture. Because I think lifestyles in many places were, until I guess recent modern time sedentary lifestyles on a lot of it to do with just desk work, the computer and so on, while that's facilitated many things. But I think in terms of health, it's created a huge challenge. And especially the more developed the countries are, they seem to have a greater, pose a greater challenge. I mean, in America, where I lived for at least uh, eight years, I think, uh, there, lots of peop people are obese, and you actually see it. In England, people are obese, but it's not as bad as America. America, everybody's massive, right? It's, it's just really different. And then you carry on further and you go to places like India and so on. You feel you just find, mashallah, very, very extremely slim people, which people in the West are paying huge amounts of money to try to become. Right? But they just do it naturally. They have to be like that. They can't be any other way. Not to say there aren't any obese people in those places. I mean, there's a huge difference between the haves and the have-nots. And generally, if you have more, you seem to just, most people can't handle it. When you have a lot of material wealth, disposable wealth, and suddenly you start seeing it on the body, right? In some cultures, you start seeing on them in terms of gold. The men start wearing gold. Uh, not sure why, but the men start wearing it. It's almost like a tradition. I mean, in our communities, you have to get a rado watch, it used to be, for the older generation. And when you get to a certain level, you get a rado watch, right? And that's not in the younger generation. They get rado watches, I mean, much easier, but... Um, Anybody got a rado watch here? They got their accomplishments, you know. Um, those big chunky ones, not even the, the sl slim ones, those big chunky rado watches, right? So, I don't know, every community has their own culture. So, <clears throat> this wouldn't have been a discussion because people were eating whatever they could eat and they were working. You were walking, you were moving from one place to the other. And in many places, I guess it was a... I mean, even going back 30 years, we played a lot more on the streets and outside than we played inside. Now it's difficult to get the children to play football outside. They have to play FIFA on the computer. That's just more interesting for some reason. So you sit and do it. It's a big challenge. It's a major challenge. So there's something that somebody said once which hit it home for me. Because how does this issue relate to taqdeer and the qadr of Allah? Because if you eat healthy and you exercise, 
they promise, and it's true, I mean, it's not uh, untrue, they promise many, many things. Your muscles get toned, improved flexibility, enhanced endurance, increasing bone density, strengthening the heart, fighting depression and stress, balancing blood pressure, reducing the risk of many other diseases, and so on and so forth. There's huge amounts of benefits. But there's one thing that drove it home for me. Uh, from the perspective that our lifespans are written, uh, from when we're in our stomach, uh, in, the mother of, uh, in the stomachs of our mothers, it's written how long we're going to be in this world for. Our death dates are written. Right? So if somebody's going to die at the age of 60 or 70 or 80 or even 90, that's written. That's not going to change. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that from pre-eternity. However, the one thing that we can make a difference to is the quality of our life for that lifespan. So if a person is healthy, they eat healthy, they take the right nutrition and they exercise enough and keep their body toned, then if they're going to live for 63 years, then that hopefully, unless, they're, unless they are afflicted by some kind of debilitating disease, they're going to be better off. Less visits to the doctor, the hospital, and, and so on and so forth, and just a better feeling uh, feeling of good health. So the quality of life is what we're speaking about here. I believe we have some control of the quality of life, but never the span of our life, unless we relate that together. But at the end of the day, if we look at it from the perspective of whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written as to when we're going to die, that's going to happen. But at least uh, we should be able to stay at least healthy. One of the most common du'as that I've heard old people make, and the older you become, the more frequent this dua becomes, Allah kisi ka muhtaj na banai. Allah do not make us dependent on anyone. Because everybody's fearful that they may become bedridden and then they are at the mercy of children, daughter-in-laws or, and what have you. And that's not an enjoyable life. That, that's not something that anybody wants. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ has, there's a few du'as that are mentioned in the sunnah. One is, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika minal haram. The small ha, haram, not haram, haram. And what that means is very similar to another wording, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min an uradda ila ardhalil umur. Oh Allah, I seek your refuge from evil old age. I seek your refuge from being returned to the lowest of life, meaning that state in which you become needy, dependent. What enjoyment is there? There's some people, subhanAllah, they, Allah protect us, they, they stay like that for 10 years, 15 years, you know, and Allah protect us from that. So this is a dua actually that, you, that we should read. I would always suggest that we have a collection of duas, a comprehensive collection of duas that we Read regularly. Because, did you, how many of you knew about this dua in particular? One person, two people. Some of the ulama, basically, nobody else knows this dua. But isn't that a beautiful dua? Wouldn't you want to make that? Because if that dua is accepted, alhamdulillah, our end of life is inshallah not as bad. Evil old age is senility. And a person becomes senile, dependent loses their mind maybe, loses their functions. 
And then it says like, what's the point of living? SubhanAllah, may Allah never allow us to go into that state. And of course, there's many spiritual things you can do as well to protect against that. Uh, like du'as and staying mentally active, learning things. And then of course, there's physical exercise. So physical exercise is supposed to help from dementia. Dementia is one of those things. They're saying just walking this many minutes a day, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes a day, or a few days a week at least, causes, pushes that back. There's a huge amounts of benefit. And I think what's happened is that many people here uh, are from communities that used to be farming communities, like forefathers, right? And some people, maybe they, were, they even took part in this in India or uh, wherever people come from. So the foods that we were eating were completely, completely appropriate for that. Many of the foods that we eat, I mean, this is something that studies need to be done on. I don't know if there's any studies, but it's something I've been thinking about. The masalas that we use, the food products that we use, they're not, many of them aren't actually native to the UK, to this climate. They don't even, they don't, they're not even produced here. They're imported. I'm not saying stop eating, I'm not saying start eating fish and chips, right? Um, but a lot of the foods and the diet that we have is actually for a different climate. We're having in the UK, where it's a totally different climate. Those foods aren't even produced here. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously produces different fruits and vegetables and uh, legumes and uh, uh, other forms of you know, uh, food products in different areas that are appropriate for those areas. It's something to think about, right? Enjoy your biryanis and whatever you have to. It's completely fine. But I'm just saying these are some things that we need to think about. A lot of people, they eat, but they still feel lethargic. They still feel weak. They still uh, have low, maybe iron deficiency and other things. And I'm not here trying to prescribe anything. But what's happened is that the foods, this is just an assessment. The foods aren't what they used to be. About 100 years ago, 200 years ago, for sure, there weren't as many chemicals and additives and these things weren't yet discovered. What we add in foods for longevity to uh, longer shelf life, uh, shortcuts uh, to, to, uh, for, for preservatives and so on, they, they, they didn't exist. It was just whatever you found, purely, naturally, from the earth, organic, without being certified organic as such, it was just there, that's what it was. That's what we were putting into ourselves, that we were, that's what we were being nourished by. I mean, if you look at the description of what the Prophet ate, it was all from the ground. Meaning it was all from the trees or the ground. It was all, you could trace it. There was nothing that came from a laboratory. So now, that was just natural. Now we've introduced a lot of things and slowly, slowly research keeps changing. And uh, margarine was supposed to be very good, better than butter. But now we've gone back to butter. I guess we always have to go back to whatever's natural. And now it spreads, which are made of different things. And the research keeps changing as to what's good for you and what's bad for you because a lot of additives. So now we need a whole new medicine system. So our original uh, historical, classical uh, medicine systems like the Ayurvedic system, which is uh, old Indian Ayurvedic, is very similar actually, uh, based on humors. 
right? Uh, uh, very similar to our Yunani, which is originally Hellenistic and Greek, but it seems to be only preserved in the Indian subcontinent through our Hakims, right? Otherwise, if you look at the names of them, they're all, uh, they're all Greek names of those, uh, many of those, uh, uh, those majuns and those uh, formulas that they have. They're all Greek names, because that's where they came from originally, but it was preserved in the Indian subcontinent. So you have those two systems, then you have Chinese medicine, uh, you have a number of medical systems, sorry, medicine systems of cure, numerous ones, you know, along with the others like acupuncture, reflexology, and so on. And uh, they still work. I think they still work. But my theory, again, this is just the theory, is that I think they're going to have a hard time battling against the additives that we have in our foods. Because our food was natural. These medicines are made of natural things, right? So they knew exactly how to combat one another. And that is what is historical. I mean, the Greek medical system is, uh, what, over 2,000 years old? Because the Greeks, they were 300 BC. 500 BC when Pericles and so on, I mean, go to Athens. Romans took over after that. The Greek civilization pretty much waned. You know, it's been over 2,000 years, approximately, around 2,000 years or so. That's an old medicine system. The Ayurvedic system is very, very old. So while I think it definitely has a benefit, and I've benefited from some of those medicines, but I think the new allopathic system, when you say new, it's, been, it's decades old now, the new you know, paracetamol and so on, the chemical-based stuff, I think that's because it cuts the, the whole uh, chemical in our food, right? So it probably works faster. That's why it's based on more science, they say, and it's based on more observation and trials and tests and so on. Homopathic system, I believe, really works very well. I mean, I've used it successfully, and uh, I think it works very well. And they say with hardly any side effects. Right? Uh, I don't want to get into the old vaccine thing right now, but if you, if you are fine with the vaccine, please go and take it. And if you're not with it, then don't take it. Just don't argue about it. Just don't argue with one another about it. Unless you definitely know there's something going on, whether good or bad, and you've, got the, you've done the test yourself, then go ahead and convince it the whole world. But if you haven't, and you're just listening to others, and you've just bought into that, whether anti or for, then just leave it to yourself. Right? That's what I think about the whole vaccine thing. Right? Allah protect us. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But there's definitely a pandemic. You know, there's definitely a sickness out there right? that many of us have experienced. Very different from others. Allah knows best. Allah protect us. That's all I can say. It's sent from Allah. What do we do? He has wisdom behind what he does. And Allah just bring the good in it for us. So let's go back to the idea is that we have to talk about quality of life. And what's the benefit of quality of life? Why good quality of life? Well, well we don't want to become a burden on others. We don't want to become a burden on ourselves. We want to enjoy a good life so that we can feel better with worship. You see, the Prophet ﷺ said in a very famous hadith that you must have heard that people are deluded about especially two things, as-sihah and faragh. Siha means well-being and faragh means free time. And it's a really interesting hadith. It's very profound the way it is. The Prophet ﷺ used the word maghboon, which means you've essentially been swindled uh, you, you've been cheated uh, by these, uh, these ideas that I've got, uh, I've got um, health right now. And um, so 
the health is actually supposed to be used to increase our investment for the hereafter. But we think we're going to do it later, we're going to do it later, we're going to do it later, and then you actually lose your health. Most people, more people than not, actually recede in their health, diminish in their health. So that's the trajectory what everybody's around you shows that generally as you get old, uh, over the hill at the age of 40, uh, 50 for sure, 60, then there's certain weaknesses. People who have absolutely no weakness and absolutely healthy bones and teeth and eyes and everything else after the age of 50, 60 are fewer people than, 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 than more people. So that's what we know from observation. So why not focus on this? So, okay. Um, hopefully that gives us some idea. So we'll be able to do better worship at the end. If you can, people... Delay. There's some community, alhamdulillah, uh, the Gujarati community doesn't have this problem. They've got other problems, but they don't have this problem. That uh, hajj is what you do when you retire. It's a retirement activity. So once I was uh, in one of the years at hajj, there's a, about a 29, 30-year-old, 30 31-year-old maybe guy who says, Sheikh, I've got a question. And I thought, okay, it's about hajj probably. And it was about hajj actually. He said, is it okay for me to be in hajj? I said, what do you mean? It's okay for you. You're already here now. Right, so, so Subhanallah was quite confusing because he says, My family are telling me that I'm not old enough yet. I'm still a little kid, you know, I'm not old enough for Hajj. Because in that culture, Hajj is when you retire, when you have done all your guna, right, when you've done all your sins, and you know, you retired from sins, you've done it now, now I should become religious and I should become Haji Saab. I should become Haji Saab. So, unfortunately, I mean, there was one group I used to go with and most of the hajis would be people around 50, over the 45, first hajj, right? And you, you then see the benefit of doing hajj when you're younger. You have to be carried around, you have to be pushed around on a wheelchair. And hajj is only getting more complicated. Your five-star hotels are only as good as the hotel itself. Once you come out of the hotel, in fact, once you come out of your room, those elevators, even in five-star hotels, are forget five-star, when it's namaz time, when it's salat time, everybody's rushing. Right? You don't have any personal elevator for yourself, right? And then to get to the haram and the, you know, the, the size is just getting bigger, to get to the Kaaba is not easy anymore, especially you get stuck in the King Abdullah extension. Wow, subhanAllah, from there... To get to the Kaaba, wow. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to accommodate a lot more people, but it's going to be difficult. And then how can you do that walking? It's difficult. So everybody's, here, take my stones. And everybody's giving it to somebody else to go and pelt the stone. That's not allowed. You're actually supposed to go there or be taken there. It's only under absolute extreme circumstances. You see a lot of people, they're just stoning like, keep stoning. What are you doing? You're only supposed to do seven. I'm doing it for two other people, my mom and dad or my older brother or whatever. Why? Because they can't do it. What, what, what's, the, what's the maza of that in hajj? The hajj is for yourself. It's a, hajj is a spiritual exercise that's very personal. The emotion is what's about hajj. It's not just rites. Why, why would you go around the Kaaba seven times? Would you get out of that? If there's no emotion in that, like, okay, I've done that. I went around seven times. I had a bit of an exercise. That's not the point of it. This is Allah's house. And we're going to where, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that's my house. And I want you to do this out of my love. So there should be an emotion there. So you're having to be carried around 
wheelchaired around, scooted around. That, that's not enjoyable, right? So do some hajj before and then after that, if that is the case, then you know, maybe we can have some more hajj. May Allah protect us from that. If you look at all of our worships, they all inc- include some kind of purification. So salat, uh, purification and exercise. Salat is a physical exercise. And now, mashallah, I mean, when you look at the books of jurisprudence, you, uh, in none of our books of jurisprudence do you have any masail rulings related to praying on a chair. They're just not there. As though people never had leg, never had leg pains or never had problems with their knees in the past. I'm sure people did. Right? So why have they not mentioned, what an omission, why have they not mentioned any of the rulings about praying on chairs? And yet today, you go to masjids, and there's one masjid I went to in London, mashallah, it's actually got fixed, whole row, or whole, uh, uh, you know, two rows of fixed chairs. Right? So there's no argument who sits where, it's just like, it's there, cinema seating, there you go. Right? Um, I never saw this 30 years ago. I remember the first time I heard of this was in around 90, it started after 95. Right? And I went to South Africa and we had to write a fatwa uh, when I started doing the iftar course about it. It was just a new thing and now it's quite casual. Nobody sits on the floor and reads. Right? As though nobody can sit on the floor anymore. Like, is this a new sickness? A new pandemic? Right? Nobody's trying to find a cure for that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just, where are we going with all of this? So quality of life, you can't worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the same way, right? There's going to be an effect on that. Yes, the Prophet definitely told us that if you are habituated to certain worships and then after that, certain ritual, uh, certain uh, 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 worships that you do and devotions that you do, and then after that you became sick and you couldn't do them anymore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the reward of them, right? So yes, there is that as a bit of a consolation for that. So we need a better quality of life for many reasons. For our personal self, for our worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, enjoyment in that worship and not to be a burden on somebody else. And really, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept that from all of us. So how do we become more healthy? That's the big question. Give us an easy way to do that. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because everybody's lifestyle is slightly different, but I can give you some ideas and we can explore it and then... What it is, and I don't want to speak for too long, I want to take questions or you know, comments or suggestions from, uh, from you guys. So when we finish, uh, when I finish, then I'd like to hear from you because uh, I may be talking about things that are totally irrelevant to you and you may have a question that... So I'd like to uh, open it up for questions afterwards uh, if I don't discuss it. So how do you integrate... So a lot of people say you should go and do exercise. And for some people who are disciplined and they can go and take time off to go and do exercise, wonderful. But how many people are disciplined who actually have that time to do it? I think in Gloucester you guys have a lot more time than we have in London, mashallah, here, I'm assuming. Right, London is just too fast and too crazy. But in Gloucester, I think you guys, do you guys get free time here? You have, you know, you have time, right? But then if, you, if you're going to use that for exercise, you're going to lose your time. So it's the same thing, I think. So I have found that incorporating a healthy lifestyle within your operation of your life and your work and your daily routine is the best way to do it. You have to make changes. You can't think of 
a healthy lifestyle as a separate idea. And you do everything normally and then, I don't know, you do something on the side once a week or twice a week or something like that. Right? You can't like, I'll just take a few extra vitamins. Right? I'll walk one day somewhere. No, I think you need to incorporate into a lifestyle. So a lot of the, I mean, one thing that you can simply do is get rid of white bread. Anything white. White rotis, like pure white, just get rid of that. That's artificial. It's processed. The whole meal, uh, the, the, the whole meal uh, parts of the grain are actually removed to make it white and is bleached. So it's actually artificial. But the crazy world today is that anything that's supposed to be healthier carries a bigger price tag, even though it's probably more closer to what it was naturally. So what you do is you remove sugar and, or, or you remove uh, certain ingredients and then you hike up the price because it's according to a current fad. So it's a bit crazy. So start with brown bread, brown roti. Or at least start with, and don't trick yourself with half and half. That's just, you know, I, I'd eat half and half, right? Sorry. The, the half and half people. Um, j go into brown. Eventually, you get used to it. Cut out a lot of the sugars. I mean, eventually, uh, we've had 30, 40 years of extreme sugar until a law has been passed recently to cut the sugar. Now, all of these drinks, they taste awful, right? Because they've just cut the sugar in them because we're so used to tasting it a certain way, right? So all the sugar's cut, alhamdulillah, right? Just get off the drinks. Um, so there's legislation because it's proven that it's just too much. Refined sugar, right? So try to cut down the sugar. And a lot of people, I mean, I guess we're addicted to sugar, but we don't see it as a health hazard. You're addicted to smoking, that's bad. Addicted to sugar, that's bad. But addicted to sugar is still not as bad. It's not considered bad yet because there's not enough warnings out there or it's not made into a crime yet. It's not made into a blameworthy practice, right? So these are some fundamental things. Then in our lifestyle, um, we moderate the amount of foods we eat. And I think one thing, I don't know why, is it because in India meat was expensive, right? When people were growing up or maybe it's in our genes that meat was expensive no longer chicken is very cheap in india now it used to be expensive in saharanpur in the madrasa they used to literally have one time no meat and the other time it was buffalo meat they never used to even taste chicken or goat meat goat meat was even more expensive i remember buffalo cow cow uh, instead of cow they have to have buffalo because it's illegal in some states it's 20 rupees a kilo at that time when I was studying there. Chicken was about 60 rupees a kilo and goat meat was 90 rupees a kilo. That's a huge difference. And many people just never ate that. In fact, when you go to Bengal, they don't even eat meat. They get it at Qurbani time only. They don't even get milk for tea in the morning. They have black tea in the morning. Many of the villages there that we visited. So I don't know, is it because of that deprivation now? It's like we need to eat meat and because we're Muslim and not Hindu, so we just need to eat meat. So everybody just eats meat and meat and meat. Dal, meat. You have to have some meat in the dal, otherwise, man, what is that? Right, that's no good. Like, why didn't you put meat in there? Like, meat every single day, that's ridiculous. The Prophet ﷺ enjoyed his meat. So yes, you could say meat is a sunnah maybe, but he didn't eat it every day. 
He didn't eat it every day. He ate it once in a while. When it came, he ate it well. But here, you eat meat at home every single day. And then when you go to a restaurant, what do you order? A mixed grill. There's nothing else. Like every time I go with you, it's like, order, let's order two mixed grills. That's like, there's a lot of other stuff on the menu. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Is that all you see? Mixed grill, mixed grill, mixed grill, like meat, meat, meat. And it's not just here, it's actually in the Balkans. We just had a five-country tour, and at least in three of those countries everywhere we're on Tweed, this is a mixed grill. Kebabs were nice, but come on. Like, give us some vegetables. You know. So, alhamdulillah, what we have managed to do at home, and, you know, uh, is that we started off with one free meat today. So, no meat on that day at all. Not even a small amount. And alhamdulillah, it's increased to... Uh, five or six days no meat. So we literally only have meat or chicken once or twice a week. And it's easy, it's done. But you have to get a bit creative. Like people don't know how to, how to cook vegetables or they only know in one way. You have to get creative with soups and things like that. They just don't know how to cook it otherwise. I was in Bangalore and uh, my cousin was with me and then they were telling this guy that uh, vegetarian, he says, no, go eat vegetable and I eat cow <laughs> right it's like no that's uh, for the Hindus that's not for us but the Prophet ﷺ didn't do that he took it easy right? the Prophet ﷺ would have if he was lucky he'd get one meal a day and that was his preference actually because I mean Prophet had millions going through his hands but he stayed as the poorest so that anybody could relate to him and for a long time the, it, it, said, it actually says the, the cooker wouldn't come on his stove, you know, the, the firewood wouldn't come on. And they'd survive on dates and water. Right? They'd survive on dates and water for, for a long time. I guess we would never even bother trying that. Right? It's not something we've even bothered trying, you know, to stay on something like that. Be flexible in your, in your eating. Whatever Allah gives you, eat it. That's all incorporating a healthy lifestyle. Right? The other thing then is, do, uh, is, the, uh, is the movement. That is very, very important. As I said, to go and take time off, to go to a gym or to go running, that's boring. Like to go running, to go jogging, treadmill, I've had it at home, it's boring. For some people who are disciplined, it's fine for them. But for a lot of people, it's just time taken out. And it's, there's no enjoyment in there. So try to incorporate into your work. So walk to your work. Okay, it might take 10 minutes more, 5 minutes more, but that will be hugely beneficial. Right? Bike to work. Right? Bike to work. That's what I found works for me. Because it doesn't waste any extra time. I still have to get to teaching, so I go on a bike. Right? 25 minutes there, 25 minutes back. And alhamdulillah, even in the freezing cold, it's, as long as it's not raining or huge wind, right? even a bit of rain, it's okay. You get used to it. Right? You get used to it. And whenever you want to do something like that, make sure you get all the equipment so that you have no excuse not to do it. So if you are going to do something, then go and get all the equipment to make it easy for you to do. But the best thing is to incorporate it into your lifestyle. Right? And that, that is what people did throughout. They walked to places. They did not always, they only went on horses if they had to really go. Some very, you know, uh, the richest people would probably go in, you know, some special carriages or whatever. And we've all become rich. The world has just opened up to everybody. Before, about 100 years ago, there would be certain... Art, uh, certain food products and other things which are only accessible to the wealthy. The common folk would not have access to that. 
And now today, anybody can do it. Anybody can get whatever they want. And that is a fitna for us. So I think these are just uh, several maybe disjointed points to think about for our health. Because we want to improve the quality of our life so that we can better worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not become dependent on others because that's what makes people very miserable. Now, a big challenge here is that the guys get to go outside. The men get to go outside because a lot of their job involves that. Okay, they could walk to work and they walk to the masjid because they have to go a few times a day if they're walking to the masjid and so on. And they can go running more easily. You know, the whole hijab issue doesn't. How do the women do it? That's a huge challenge. Now, in other communities, it was easy because the women had their own, you know, in the fields or whatever they could. There was a lot more privacy and things like that. Here, the privacy is only in the homes. So how do you do this now? This is something that I don't claim to have, you know, all the answers to. But what some people are doing in different communities, and maybe you're doing the same thing here, is to get together. Because it's always easy to do things together rather than individually. It's very boring to change your lifestyle because it's so difficult to change a routine that's been going on, especially if it's genetic. So I think it's a good idea to get others involved, maybe take over the swimming pool for women-only sessions, uh, whatever else. I mean, mashallah, you guys have lots of things like a um, uh, little farm I saw today uh, related to this place, I guess. There's a lot of other things that you can do while maintaining your modesty. Where there's a will, inshallah, there will be a way. If you have other ideas, please let us know as well. So, the women's, uh, that, that, the, the women's exercise and the women's being uh, fit, they, uh, many women say they count the steps on their phone. But the problem with their steps is literally um, cooker, bedroom, cleaning, whatever, in the house. It's not strenuous. It might be quick and frequent, but it's not strenuous. It doesn't get the heart, you know. So that's what really needs to happen. Uh, they say with diesel cars, once in a while, you need to go and just floor them on the motorway. So that it cleans out the junk, the gunk or whatever it is. And I think that's what we need to do to get the heart rate up. That's what they say. So if anybody has great ideas about that, then let us know. Now... Mental health is a major issue, right? And we can't deny it. Mental health is a big problem. And I know the word mental health is a word which uh, causes a lot of people to kind of deny because the word mental just sounds mental, right? And psychological problems. Much of it is actually to do with, uh, much of it is actually to do with stress and other things that's caused by um, sedentary lifestyle, uh, not moving, and maybe bad food. Uh, I would suggest that if, unless you really know your diet, like your food, if you know what is uh, sufficient carbs, sufficient uh, protein, and sufficient fats and so on, you understand that. If you don't, then it's very likely, especially if you're overeating, that you're not doing it properly and you're probably missing out on some really essential nutrients and minerals. There's a lot of people with this problem. So they feel tired. They feel weak. They feel they can't go on. Right? They just feel like eating more and sleeping. So what really benefits is to get yourself a good multivitamin and mineral supplement. Solgar VM75 
or th there's a number of them. A good one, like spend money on this. Don't get the cheapest brand, right? Get something uh, that is made by a good company and there's lots of good companies. They'll cost you 30, 40 pounds maybe for a supplement of maybe three months or four months, but I think it's well worth it. Because what that does is that will help to supplement for you the missing minerals and, and they, it could be simply just that. Generally our women, they have a problem with uh, what is it? Iron and vitamin D. Is that right? Vitamin D, right? So these are all things to think about, right? The supplements really do help. It's just beneficial to get back with your life and be more productive because the stronger believer is better than the weaker believer. What's the point of a person who's weak and is dependent on others, right? We don't want to become a burden. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. You should really, really thank Allah for the NHS, the more shukr we do, the more, you know, you, you might complain about the NHS, but as bad or good it is, it is a blessing. You go to America and uh, just, we're writing a fatwa about medical insurance right now, and the survey we've done, they are, the, the basic insurance costs about $600 a month for a family, right? That's a basic insurance. The higher ones are like a thousand something a month. Even if you've got insurance, your doctor visit costs 40 dollars a visit even after paying 600 your doctor visits for example cost 45 50 dollars just to go and see a doctor even though you've got insurance what are you paying for i don't know right then if you have to have a procedure then obviously then there's a copay so you've got the basic level of insurance of five six hundred pounds for a family of three four then you still have to pay up to, I can't remember, is it $1,500 or $2,500? Then the insurance covers the rest. And if you don't have insurance and you pay for it, it costs double or triple of what the insurance companies get charged for the same procedure. See what I'm saying? It is absolutely crazy. In India, it's different. They obviously have insurances, but they have some, they have free facilities as well, but they are extremely understaffed, awful, terrible, dirty places, right? So then you have to pay for it to go to a better hospital. And if you're wealthy, it's okay, but subhanAllah, in the, in the pandemic and the black fungus and so on, many, many people are in debt now because of the, ex, ex, uh, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, you go to a doctor in India or America, they give you lots of medicine. In England, they're like, no, you don't need anything. You'll be fine in one week. You'll be fine in three days. They don't want to prescribe. Right? Whereas there, they prescribe antibiotics for everything. They're telling me that for all the COVID, they were giving anti uh, anti antibiotics. It's a viral problem. Why are you giving antibiotics? I don't understand. Were you ever, was anybody ever prescribed antibiotics for COVID? Right? They, don't, they don't because it's a, it's a burden on the NHS. So they're making money down there. It's, it's a, there's a lot of issues with this. Right? Unfortunately, it's not as honest as it should be. But what I'm trying to say is that we need to do shukr. We really, really need to do shukr for the NHS and may Allah keep it up. And uh, yes, we may have pay more taxes or whatever, I don't know. But, you know, that's a real benefit that we can go there. We might have to wait for a while. Okay, if you do insurance in America, you get, you know, you're in two, three days, you, got, you, know, you can get a surgery straight away. But here you might wait for weeks. But alhamdulillah, right? It's, it's really beneficial. Sports. Uh, I mean, I think I need to talk about sports here because sports is one way to gain exercise. 
So for many people, they're into a sport and they can get involved with that. And that's good. So if you are taking part in a good physical sport, that's great. Alhamdulillah. But then with everything else, you get, it gets obsessive. It gets over the top. And that's what one needs to be uh, concerned about. It's not my topic for today, so I'm not going to go too much into that. That's more about sport in Islam and the whole aspect about that. But sports definitely is part of a healthy lifestyle. If you can get involved in a sport, a martial art that works for people, that's great. It doesn't have to be a martial art such as kickboxing, which is quite intense, right? It could be something like wrestling, something like jujitsu, or some kind of mixed martial arts or whatever, just to keep going. Because as I said, for a lot of people, to go for a run or to go on a treadmill is boring, right? It's just like, what do I do there? That's why for them, if they get into a, if, if it motivates them to get into a sport, then there's a bit more enjoyment in that. So whatever, whatever we can do, uh, we do that. This is what Allah says in the Quran. Eat and drink. Kulu washrabu. Eat and drink. So you can eat and drink, but do not do israf. Uh, do not be extravagant. Now there's two levels. There's israf and there's another word used in the Quran, tabdhir. La tusrifu. For that Allah just says, la tusrifu. In Allah la yuhibbul, or is it musrifin? Right? Allah doesn't like the, those who are extravagant dealing with right now, which basically means that money is easy come and easy go. It's, a lot of people have very, a lot of disposable income where they can buy things on the spur, Amazon Prime, whatever, and just get things. So you have to be very careful of what, how, how we spend that. So, la tusrifu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says that Allah has made halal all pure things, tayyibat, all pure things. And He has made haram all repugnant things, all filthy things, unhealthy things. So what is tayyibat? Most of us, I've done another talk about uh, HMC. There was a talk I gave for a program with HMC and where discussed the idea of the meats that we're even buying, you know, the meats that you love. Uh, when you ask the people in the industry, it's some of the worst and inferior quality meat that is being sold to Muslims. Muslims seem to be the highest consumers of meat for some odd reason, which is really strange. I don't know, right? And it's inferior cuts. Then it's not the best kind of meat. So that's something to think about. Because yeah, it's halal, HMC, whatever. But is it pure and wholesome? How is it been read? Because if you look at, once I was in Hajj with a guy from England, but who had big business in Pakistan of chicken farms. He would not eat the chicken. I wasn't eating much of it because of other reasons. He, he wasn't, why not? He said, I know how they're read on chicken, on chicken factories. Right, in terms of the feed, they, they go, go big in, I don't know, 45 days or something like that. Um, and it's quite crazy. When, when you hear about it, I don't want to put you guys off, but I, you know, I am very selective. I try to be selective about chicken um, because it's, uh, it's not made in there. It's all about money. It's all about producing mass production. So Allah wants us to be pure, to go back to being pure. And that's very, very important. Now we have to fight to be pure. You know, you have to make an effort to be pure before that's all you had generally. But now you have to you have to be careful about what's pure. Um, then after that, look at this now. The Prophet ﷺ said that uh, 
La ilaha illallah. The, this is um, a statement of wisdom. It's such a profound statement that I think uh, the health authorities should actually make this like their, their, their principle and governing maxim. It says, Ma mala'a ibn Adam wi'a'an sharram min batni. A human being never fills a vessel that's worse than his stomach. So if there's any vessel that you fill, right, the stomach is the worst vessel that you can fill up. You have to fill it somewhat to, uh, to carry. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said. بِحَسْبِ ibn Adam ukulat or لُقَيْمَاتِ يُقِيمْنَ sulba. Sufficient, uh, just a few morsels that will just keep his back straight. Like just enough to survive. I find that difficult. I mean, I wish one day I can do that. I know it's difficult. I mean, how many people do that? Like they just eat just sufficient. I think the only people that get to do that are some very few disciplined people or those people who have had their stomach tied now or stapled. They can't eat anymore. There's a guy I know, Marshall, he was very big. Suddenly I see him. I had not seen him for a while. And he is thin. What happened? So uh, apparently he'd gone uh, and got his stomach because he had to. It was just causing too many issues. So then he just says, I can't eat. I can't even have a full bowl of something. You can't. There's no space in the stomach. There's no space in the stomach. Right? So you're forced to eat less. Right? That's extreme. But if, th if that helps us, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to go and talk to a health. But that is, the Prophet ﷺ said, That's just enough uh, to keep your back straight. And then the Prophet understood that obviously people need to eat a bit more. Sometimes, فَإِن كَانَ لَا مَحَالَةَ uh, uh, If he is definitely going to eat a bit more, uh, if he needs to eat more, then فَثُلُثٌ لِطُعَامِهِ وَثُلُثٌ لِشَرَابِهِ وَثُلُثٌ لِنَفْسِهِ Then one third, if you're going to really eat a bit more than that, then one third for your food, one third for your drink, and then one third for your breath. Now, we is 100% for food, the water just slips through, right? And um, subhanallah, you know, you know, when you have chicken and chips, you have to have a drink. That's why they do a meal deal. Why? Because you need that fizzy drink to burn it down or something. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I remember once we, I, I try not to get the drink. There's a lot of sugar. So I'm having that. And he says, you don't have a drink with it. And he's like, disgusting, like he, he is in such disgust, like you're going to have that without a drink. Like, how do you do that? You need something to burn it down with, you know? Subhanallah, this is our new lifestyle. In our madrasa, we've actually made it prohibited that if you want to feed anybody, don't bring pizzas and don't bring chicken and chips. Like, go and bring something more wholesome. Like, make an effort for it. It's just a bit quirky, but that's what I think. Um, not to say, I mean, you can't eat that stuff when you need to. You can eat it, right? It's not haram, it's not bad, or whatever the case is. So... Anyway, there you go, there you go. I mean, sourdough bread, which is only made up of three ingredients, right? Go, go and check sourdough bread, if you've got any shops here, right? It's made of three ingredients only. It has no yeast. And compare that to any of the breads in the supermarket, which have about five or six ingredients. But the sour bread will be way more expensive, even though it's the oldest bread-making recipe that have been used. It's only got three ingredients, and it's much better for your stomach. Does anybody know sour bread, a sourdough bread? Just one person. Oh, you don't even know what it is. Once you get hooked on that stuff, it's a bit difficult to let go. You get, generally get that in high-end restaurants and, and hotels and that, and certain bakeries make it. 
right? But it costs like three pound a loaf. Whereas a normal bread costs a pound a loaf. It's like three, four pound a loaf. But it's a very special type of bread. It's very basic. It's very basic, just of three ingredients. There's a lot of stuff like that out there, but it just costs more for some reason. You go to a Whole Foods market, it just costs more. I don't know why. Right? It's capitalized on that. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. I mean, right now, turmeric is a big thing. Like It's like the new thing. You go to Costco, they're selling arad, haldi, turmeric for, I don't know, like 20 pounds. Go to an Indian shop and you can get it for two pounds for the same amount. It's crazy, isn't it? Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a healthy lifestyle. Because I think we're in a flux. It's only been about 50, 60 years of all of these communities that have come from other countries in this country. I mean, even places, India, Pakistan, and all of these countries, they're changing because of the modern foods. So even they're changing. It's actually not. It's just convenience and everything else. And uh, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go. So let us be careful for our own purpose. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. They say spend more to buy lesser amount of good stuff than to spend huge on buy one get one free of junky stuff right and eat less may Allah make it easy it's not easy but may Allah make it easy for us okay if you have any questions yes you're right I mean that's one thing I forgot to mention that's one thing I forgot to mention is try not to have a kitchen diner set up where you're sitting in the the living room which is connected to the kitchen so you can constantly see the food and cupboard and stuff like that. Because one of the biggest problems today is grazing. You know, cows graze all day, but they, they, their whole stomach is fitted separately. They've got a different dynamic. Uh, they chew the cud, so they, they store food and then you know, they bring it back up. It's called rumination. Right? We don't do that. We just go in and it has to come out some other way and it has to do something in the body. So I think one thing you can do is that if you just fix your meals and have hearty meals at that time first and just stop the grazing in between. How do you stop the grazing? I guess just buy less chocolates and crisps and snack bars and things like that. Replace them first with maybe nuts and fruit. And what kind of fruit? Some people just don't like fruit. I just don't understand. They just like don't see any point in fruit. It's like you're weird. Right, it is the most natural thing, but it's like, no, I can't eat fruit. That's really weird. Start off with replacing it with healthy, and then eventually you can get rid of that and just eat what's, you know, in, in, during the meal times. And I think maybe it could be that we're not, like in breakfast time, if you plan your diet, if you're eating non-nutritional food at breakfast, you're going to feel hungry very quickly and you're going to have a downer, right? You're going to need to pick yourself up. But if you have a good protein breakfast, you stay, you, you, it doesn't make you hungry for longer, right? So you stay uh, satisfied for longer. And this is what's important. The, the long days of fasting are gone, but when that was the case, we did a lot of research to try to get some foods that last you for the 19, 20 hours of fast. Now it's getting easier, but that's, these are some things to think about. So that's a very good point that you don't graze in between. You have a craving for... It's because it's a tradition. You, when you eat biryani food, you have to have like a... And that's fine once in a while. But you don't have, it, have to have it with each meal. Do you understand? You don't have to have it with each meal. So when I come back sometimes from a tour, and when you're on a tour, you can't... I mean, you tell people, please cook something simple, cook vegetables. That's haram for them. 
It's like, we can't just give you, they probably don't even know what kind of vegetables to give you. Uh, I went and stayed in Darlum, Karachi for two weeks. And you just had to tell the canteen people or the, the kitchen to make you certain foods. And literally for those two weeks, I said, it was either dal or vegetables. That's what I ordered. Right? But you go anywhere else for a dawah, they want to feed you meat. Because if you don't eat meat at our house, it's like... If they ever made kari kichi, they have to apologize ten times. Sorry, you came very late. As though that's not food. It's all tradition. I don't know. It's all culture. Cook what? Sometimes you go to somebody's house, can you give me some water? They bring you coke. It's like, okay, bring the coke if you feel like it. Although I think coke is... I've not had coke for the last seven years. But... If you want to bring a drink, that's fine, but bring some water as well. Like, we really want some water. It's not like a disguised, um, you know, uh, desire of a drink. I meant a drink. No. Like, give me some water, please. And I forgot to speak about fasting, subhanAllah. Right? And there's so many people, right, even non-Muslim world, who are fasting twice a week. Right? Twice a week, eat five days, fast two days. And uh, that, that's really, really helpful. Alhamdulillah, I know a few people who do that. And uh, they tend to be, I, I, mashallah, there's one teacher that I know. He teaches with us and he teaches in several other places and I never see him stressed or tired. But mashallah, he's very particular. He fasts twice a week regularly, summer and, and, and winter. Because what fasting does, it allows the body to recoup. I mean, we do this a major detoxification once a year in Ramadan. But it's better that you do it more regularly. Right? Imagine having an oil change. You know, not after every 10,000 miles, but it'll be very expensive. But here, it's actually cheaper to, uh, to do this. So what it does is it allows the body to settle because the body, the stomach has to work very hard. The enzymes and everything has to work, the muscles have to work very hard to process the food that's going in there. It's a button, you know, the, the, the Prophet is the worst thing that you can fill. So the stomach has to help. So that just creates a lot of fatigue in the stomach. That's why when you do have a bad stomach, they say just stave off food. Just, just stay off food for a while so that the stomach can just work uh, to, to get back into balance. The origins of yoga are definitely you know, from Hinduism. I mean, there's no doubt about that in terms of what it is now because there's a lot of pe- places, uh, uh, many yoga pr- uh, practices that promise uh, non-religious yoga such, as such that it's totally... Uh, cleansed out and it's just a secular yoga so there's two opinions about this I know certain experts and certain scholars who still say haram because it's very difficult they're saying their argument is that it's very difficult to divorce completely the religious connotations from the postures because some of the postures are about the rising sun and uh, I I can't remember them all and they're so integral to the yoga that while you might not call it that or whatever, then it's still not. That's what they say. I personally go with the other view, and we've actually should have on fatwacenter.org. We should actually have a detailed write-up on there uh, that while that's the case and is best avoided, but we're not going to say it's haram, uh, especially if he's been secularized and there's none of that in there. Because I mean, at the end of the day, it is postures, and there is a certain benefit to those postures, right? But you're better of doing something else just to avoid the the controversy there and the possibility of falling into something else. So the way I'll repeat that to everybody is that what I'm saying is that so, uh, many times it's actually very beneficial to um, employ the service if you can, 
if you've got a friend like that or somebody you know or if you have to pay for it if you're doing something a lot and it's impacting your lifestyle then you need to uh, maybe get professional guidance and help and consultation on that so for example if you are sitting at a desk for a long time then uh, you find somebody who can help you uh, get the best setup for yourself if it's about diet and nutrition right that's very very important as I said before, our older women knew exactly what to give a pregnant woman and uh, a nursing woman. Eat this, that and the other and it enriches the milk. Problem nowadays is that we're filling ourselves with a lot of additives and everything. So maybe those things, inshallah, they're effective. But there's, as I said, other minerals that we may be losing out as well. So that's actually, that leads us to the next point, which is that I think as a community, we need to encourage some of our young people to get into those fields so that they can provide that as service. Our community has already gone older, right? Many have died. A generation is dying. There's few left of that first generation that came to the UK in the 1960s, right? Very, I mean, there's some left of them, right? There are, and it's not finished yet. It's still in that generation. But it's something to think about because they, they, they don't find it comfortable to go to others. And others may not understand the, this uh, this lifestyle that we have which is half Indian or I don't know 60% Indian or I don't know if it's 40% Indian depends on how much fish and chips you have um, I don't know right so that's really really important that we think on the long term for that we think alhamdulillah madrasas maktabs and things like that but this is important for the health of our community I found it very useful that in our masjid once we brought this heart doctor to explain the issues about the heart and diet and and cholesterol and all of that. And people are like, wow, we never knew about this. We just never knew about this. So what I'm talking about is just very general health. But I think this could be followed up, inshallah, with specific, you can identify specific issues about nutrition, specifically, heart, and then maybe posture and so on. I w work a lot on a desk, and I was having carpal tunnel problems and, uh, in the arm. So I invested in a chair, right? That chair is, the cost of that chair is about a thousand pounds. It's a thousand pound chair. Now I didn't buy it for a thousand pounds. I bought it, I got it for 170 pounds. But I bought a, pe a chair, I mean that is a bit crazy as well. A chair, like you're paying 170 pounds for a chair, but I paid 170. Had it for seven, eight years. It's, it's adjustable. The, the reason I was told by somebody else who had problems is that get this chair. You can adjust everything in it, right? The tilt, uh, the, the seat, the back, the lumbar support, the arms, armrest, front, back, sideways, everything. You can just adjust everything and it helps you. The keyboard drawer, I, it's a $300 keyboard drawer that I got for about $100. I paid a lot of money for that because, again, you can bring it to wherever. It doesn't just go back and forth. It goes up, down, uh, it, um, it uh, inclines, goes left, right. So however you're sitting, you can have that because that's very important. If that's the kind of job you're doing, right? So spend money on these things if you have to. If you've got the money to spend it, get the consultation and, and do it right, right? So I think we need experts like that. To be able to, like for Ramadan, we need, you know, it's good to talk to dietitians. Now, alhamdulillah, days are getting easier the, uh, for another 27, 8 years. Yeah. Then, I don't know, then it'll be easier, inshallah. Okay. 
Um, well, I mean, Zamzam Academy is that we have a few websites. Zamzam Academy is, we have about nearly a thousand bayans on there on various different topics, so feel free to go and check those out. But after bayans, we're encouraging everybody to move on to some more serious kind of study. And that's, we have another website called rayaninstitute.com or Rayan Courses. There, at your own pace, you can sign up for courses on the most essential aspects of Islam or some more intermediate aspects and take them at your leisure. You know, whether that be jurisprudence, history, aqidah, seerah uh, of the Prophet ﷺ, tafsir, because we need to, uh, for our imani health, right, ilm is very important. And one of the biggest calamities in the ummah is jahalat. Everybody's just going by what they think they know. And they've not done any serious study. Since maktab, they've not read a book on Islam or an Islamic book. And what they know is just basically what they've picked up from little bayans here and there. A bayan is never going to give you a full-on detailed synopsis or uh, uh, coverage of something. A bayan is for, for targhib, for motivation, for inspiration. It's not serious study. Because people will get a bit confused if the sheikh in uh, Imam Sab starts giving you complex you know, discussions. So that's why you need to move from there. And you know, they, they, they don't take long, a few hours a week you can spend. at your. So go to Rayyan Institute and check that out. And then we've got obviously White Thread Press, which is for the books. I think we've got some books at the back today anyway. And then there's White Thread Institute. I don't want to confuse you. That's for ulama. Just keep in mind Zamzam Academy and Rayyan Institute. And inshallah, uh, suggest it to others uh, who can benefit from this as well. And may Allah grant us prosperity. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam, and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.